1: The following encore presentation of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze is a favorite from our archives. Hope you enjoy this second helping. It's great to have you joining the party on the face, Middleton Food Schmooze inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We have a whopper for you this time. French recipes for the grill, yes, including a grilled flourless chocolate cake. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to go all French. You loved the beautiful boxed rosé wine we found for you. And guess what? That vineyard has decided to do a boxed red wine from the Rhone region. We're going to have a little tasting on the show there are places that are recycling corks now and there's this little debate about whether we should have plastic corks, regular corks, screw tops. So we might get into that a little bit toward the end of the show. And we rotate to Latin stuff again with the tamale. Where do you find the real deal because that's delicious? Our philosophy on the show is that I and my colleagues curate the best Tossing aside the rest. That's why you hear us raving about things. My food buddies are here. Senior contributors, Chris Prosperian, Alex Province, senior producer, Robin Doyen Aiken. Hey, everybody. Hey. hey. Okay. Our food schmooze studios are at the Big G, Gateway Community College, downtown New Haven. We play in the Big G's five culinary department professional kitchens with every piece of equipment imaginable. All right, more French wine in a box. Alex, we talked about, and Chris, the place, Robin, the place went crazy because we had what we thought was one of the best rosés that we have been drinking lately. It turns out they're making it in a box. And it went berserk in the market after we raved about it. And they sold out about five times. And so it's just like thousands of cases. I'm only responsible for one of those times. (laughs) (laughs) I'm responsible for six of these boxes. We've got a new box here from the same vineyard. Let me just say about the box wines. Four bottles in this small box.
0: It doesn't look possible. It does not look look
1: possible. It averages $8.50 a bottle this way. It lasts forever in your fridge. You can keep it in there for months and months and months because there's no oxygen contact with the wine because of the spout. So, Alex...
0: First, you have to get over the fact that you're drinking wine out of a box because people, you know, historically think wine that comes in a box is bad. And that's simply not true.
1: Because some of it is bad.
0: Yeah. A lot of box wines today are inexpensive industrial wine. This is not that kind of wine.
1: Let's describe it. The box is sitting on the edge of the table. You're going to pour, Chris. when When you
0: buy it, it's just a cardboard box. And there's a little perforated hole and you push on it and then... You lift up this flap and out comes a spout. Mm-hmm. Just you have like to a. kind of tug it, it a little yep, bit. Yeah, you tug yeah. it out. If you peek inside the box, there's a silver bladder, so a recyclable silver bladder, and the wine is inside there. Chris is just pushing the little spout and yeah. out comes the wine. It just pours out like a. Um, no drip.
1: There's yeah. like a little lever on it yeah. or something. Yeah. So
0: It's like um, a little uh, wine fountain. All
1: right, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like yes, that. I had another image, but anyway, this is the Vin de Lumière. And it is from the Côte de Rhone region, so it means it's a red. Yeah,
0: just in the very south of France is a river called the Rhone, and Côte is just hillside. So these are from the hills on this river. Grenache is the grape blended with a little bit of Syrah. And Grenache, remember, is that really juicy, fun, soft tannin. Just mm. summery, and easy it, it, going wine. So
1: this is great with all the grilled foods from grilled oh, yeah. vegetables mm. to even to grilled fish. I would have this with a grilled salmon for Lamb chops.
0: Yes, Oh, perfect. So just just a quick stick fire with some lamb chops and kosher salt.
1: The Syrah gives it a little oomph. You know, it gives Mm. it a little backbone so that it can stand up against grilled chicken and grilled meat or Mm -hmm. a really sturdy pepper. And the Grenache is more sporty and fun. And we chill our Mm. red like this. I
2: love the chill on it.
1: Some people don't like it that way, but we all do. (laughs) So this is about the size of you know Cascade dish detergent.
2: That's exactly That's the exactly size. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> if you put if you,
0: with 30% yeah, free. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's the one. I was trying to figure out what's this box size. That's it. It's the Cascade dish You'd detergent. You have really clean if you, dishes. If you, if you put two
1: of
3: those back together,
1: to you would have yeah. this cardboard box and the box is stamped, it has a handle on it. I went to a birthday party recently, and I love the rosé, which is very much like a Sancerre rosé. And I bought four or five of these and brought them to the party. Everyone came up to me and said, this is delicious, Alex. And they said, how do I use it? And I said, well, you just go like this. And it goes in your glass. And three of
2: those is a case
1: of wine. They said to me, what do you mean there's four bottles in there? So can you explain how that's possible, Alex? Because you just think it doesn't even visually make sense. Well, most
0: of the weight, when you pick up a wine bottle, most of it's glass. And so a case of wine of these 12 bottles, it's heavy without the wine.
1: Does that explain, because they have not changed their production technique this is very wholesomely
0: made wine exactly the same so from a winery perspective you're cutting costs because it's you're filling a four bottle equivalent straight into this bladder it's a lot easier for them the cardboard is just plain cardboard there's not fancy graphics you're not paying for a cork. A cork can be upwards of, you know, like a quarter. A fancy one can be like a dollar. So you subtract all of these things. I mean, that's why they're, they're saving money.
1: I'm ashamed of us because the one thing we're not talking about, people, is how this tastes. It's oh, amazing. The best part. You hear us talking about geeky things like tannins and stuff. It means that when that's in your mouth and that's the thing that gives it a little structure and mm-hmm. makes it really quite delicious with food, there's a slight dryness on the edge of your tongue as you're swallowing. And that's tannins do that. We say that tea bag effect where there's a little. It sucks in a little. Yeah, a little yeah. dryness and it makes your mouth water a little bit. Those are the tannins. So that's what's coming from the syrah mm-hmm. in this wine. So. The Grenache, or Grenacha, is... A Spanish well, well, grape, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> had to say that. And Spain invented that grape. <laughs> they invented wine. <laughs> um, you'll see why that's funny in a little bit. The, the combination of the two, how do we describe how those two things come together in the flavor of this wine?
0: The first thing people will notice is there's no sugar in these kinds of French wines. They ferment it all out. So compared to other box wines, this is dry. And then in Europe and France, they don't sell wine by the grape. They sell it by the region. So this This blend might change from year to year. It might have more Syrah next year if the Syrah was better. So they want you to just see this as a red Cote and then kind of say, hey, trust me, Mm. we make good wine, just buy it. And then the blending Mm. is up to them and they tweak it year by year because it's an agricultural product.
1: That's fascinating. So
0: you taste it, you're just tasting a blend. The Syrah, like you said, faith gives it some structure, and then the Grenache is like a party, and yep. so Finesse. together, there's it works well. It's, it's
1: like smart and funny, right? It's yes. like, <laughs> 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 that would be you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> love this for this box with four bottles in it. It's thirty four, thirty five dollars, and we have everything you need, including a picture. Go to foodschmooze.org and you'll see everything. And don't be embarrassed about putting this out because in Europe – these box wines are huge, especially in France. Right, they really
0: are. You could bring it to the boat. You can bring it camping. Oh, you beach. know, places where you can't yeah. have glass. Also, for people that are like daily drinkers, so glass you, of you wine know, at lunch. There's dinner. not a better way of of drinking because if you're a single person, pour what you need and it goes back in the refrigerator. You don't, you don't, don't feel like you have to bad. finish the bottle or.
1: This is the Best way to way go. To do it. I like to make pan sauces, and so yeah. I want a little. Yeah, I want mm-hmm. a little pump of wine so I can put it in a pan with those little crispy bits from some piece of meat I've been cooking and a little pat of butter and swirl that pan around with a little splash of this wine and I'm good to go. It's just so useful. Some box wines we have here from some places are not good. I've tried them. I want to love them. No. Every once in a while you hit on one. This This is is a whole other story. And people said to me after the rosé, oh, I wish they would make a red. And here it is. And here it is. (laughs) And it's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. It's more than
2: good. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great Cote This is
1: not going to be that fruit forward Pinot Noir style. This is more great with grilled meats, certain grilled vegetables. I would actually just sit around – And drink this. It's
0: like a magic box. Though, if we were to sit around, like you, it just goes on and on and on and on until you get the four bottles out. You're like wondering where the wine's coming from, looking for like a hose on the floor or something. No, you are. I just
1: keep saying, "Where's the wine coming from?" (laughs) It's like a religious miracle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you carry three of these little boxes, like a cascade, and you can very easily, very easily, easily carry three of these, you've just carried a case of wine into your house. So for anyone who struggled to get like a, a case of wine yeah. in their house, into their car, into their wow. pantry, wherever, if you can carry a cascade box, you can carry four <laughs> bottles.
1: So let me ask this question. Is this – Chris, you have a restaurant. Is this convenient for a restaurant or oh, yeah. as,
2: as wine by the glass? Yeah, it's, it's convenient and if you're closed on a Sunday and stuff and that mm-hmm. wine by Monday is no good anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's sat for two days unless we pump it with the nitrogen or suck all the air out. I mean, there's all these other ways. But if somebody would order these, I'd be thrilled. I wish all our wines by the glass came in a box. It would make the bar run so much more efficiently. Okay. Vineyards, The the mountain of glass that we produce out of one small restaurant. It's mind-boggling. Chris heard the dumpster. Yeah, yesterday morning. Turning
1: over. He was Uh, in so early. He heard them –
2: Ear-shattering. It it was so loud and it lasted for so long and I'm like, we fill that thing every single week. Think about how much glass that is. As a
1: diner, if you're doing wine by the glass – you're thinking, oh, I'm afraid the restaurant has ordered one of the cheapest wines they can get their hands on. To make a profit on this particular glass, that means that it might be a wine that's not wholesomely made. It's not healthy for me. It's not going to be that great. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm onto this.
2: And maybe one day we'll even get to the point where we can actually sell this wine out of this box by the bottle like they do in Europe. When you go to Europe and you go to a bistro and you and you want their – house wine. It comes in a carafe, a exactly. big jug or something like this and that's your wine and it comes in a, a liter or three-quarters of a liter carafe. It's red or white yep. and that's the way you should be drinking. That's how they drink. Uh, yeah, that's France. how they drink. So yeah. Now,
1: now we're on to something where if for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable putting out one or two boxes of this wine <laughs> because it would be eight <laughs> bottles. One <laughs> box or Never two. Mind. <laughs> Never
3: mind. OK. So you
1: put out one bottle. <laughs> if you don't want to do that – Do what the French bistros do and... Put Put it it into a very large
2: carafe. Put it in carafes. Put it on the table. Let everyone drink it. Let everyone see it. And then at the end, ask your guests, what do you think of the wine? And let everyone give their opinion. And then come out with the empty box and say, that's what it came in. This is the new (laughs) thing now, that these great wines are coming in this simple package. It's so much better for the environment, too. When you're done, you just take the cardboard, it goes in a (laughs) single stream with the
0: plastic, and you're all done. I know.
1: We have really gone on about this, because we've gotten into the whole thing again about box wines and what's going on in the marketplace and all that. It's just so fun to talk about. And we get to talk about winemaking in general. Coming up later in the show, we have this cookbook that I'm nuts about called French Grill. And we want to talk with you about tamales. Now, oh, I don't God. know tamales. I am just <laughs> learning about them, but I just had some that were so good. And we want to know from you about where you find your best tamales. We're going to do French grill next, including that grilled flourless chocolate cake. So don't go anywhere. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. They need us. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. I'm Faith Middleton. You can sign up for our free podcast, meaning a copy of each week's show. It'll arrive in your inbox every single week. You just go once to org, sign up, and that's it. The point is you can listen on your schedule. It's that simple. Okay, I have been waiting for this. I can't tell you. When Paris-Provence food expert Patricia Wells raves about an American cookbook, I pay attention. The same with food historian Laura Shapiro, who did Julia Child's biography. What are they and I knocked out by? This cookbook, French Grill. The creator is Susan Herman Loomis. It's a genius idea to do French recipes for the grill, I think. Camembert burgers, grilled chicken livers and onions on skewers, smoky French-style gazpacho, salmon with tarragon butter grilled on the skin. There is even, wait for it, a grilled flourless chocolate cake. That's on our website, foodschmooze.org. Susan Herman Loomis does cookbooks, writes for all the food publications that so many of us know and she owns and operates her own cooking school in a 12th-century convent in Normandy, France. The life many of us would like to lead. Welcome to the Fouchemus party, Susan. Thank you, Faith. It's
4: a pleasure to be here.
1: You're making a claim, a delicious claim, that the French invented barbecue. May no, Madame, that can't be true. It's it's true, Mais, though. Mais
4: oui, Madame. <laughs> of course. If you live in France long enough, you do begin to understand the French invented almost everything. (laughs) And when you start studying the history of gastronomy, what you find out is the Gauls were grilling in France, and they were grilling good stuff. They had a way with meats, and they had a way with fish, and they had a way with fowl, and it was all grilled over fire. I mean, it's a claim to be made. So yes, made it's it.
1: that's absolutely a claim to be made. So I'm just going to give that to you. To Thank out. you, Faith.
4: I appreciate that. I really do. <laughs> um,
1: I can't wait to get into some of these recipes. And you know I'm just dying to tell everybody about the grilled flourless chocolate cake. But to begin with, how would you describe this? You took recipes of yours that are based on real French tradition and then adapted them for the grill.
4: Really, the impetus was my realization after living here for 30 years, really, that everyone around me, from the moment the sun shines, is grilling. No one expects the French to grill. No one outside of France knows the French grill, but they grill like crazy. And I thought, you know, this is an untouched subject.
1: We asked Chris to make this recipe, which is also on our website, and it is your salmon with tarragon (sighs) butter grilled on the skin with this grilled potato salad that made us go crazy. One of those vinegary... uh, Did we say this is the best potato salad we've ever had? Yeah, no question.
2: Yeah, by far one of the best potato salads I've ever had.
1: Amazing. If you love that vinegary style, let's talk about how this works. Salmon filet with olive oil, some butter, sea salt, fresh tarragon leaves, a squeeze of lemon juice, and off you go, Go ahead.
4: So grilling salmon on the skin is classic because the heat comes up through the skin. The skin protects the flesh of the fish. And you have this perfectly cooked, beautiful piece of fish on the grill. It takes about eight minutes. Mm. And then you also get this amazing crisp piece of skin. And if you've never bitten into a piece of grilled salmon skin... Yum.
1: Man, really loved. Oh, I'm just my arms are in the air. I'm yeah. cheering. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to eat. If we were saying this in French, would you say it for me? This is the salmon with tarragon butter grilled on the skin. How, what would that sound like?
4: C'est le saumon gris à l'unilatéral. Yes, and yes. Unilatéral means one side, so you don't touch it. You leave it on the grill. You take a spatula and you take the flesh off the skin, put that on a plate, and then you take the skin off the grill. So oh. it's easy. You don't want the flesh of the salmon to touch the grill. And you I'm... want all that heat and a little bit of smoke to go around the fish and mm-hmm. cook it that way.
1: So if it's a gas grill, the lid is closed?
4: Yes. Okay. And with uh, charcoal, charcoal, too. too. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of the grill.
1: Also on the site, we have fuchmousse.org plus information about this cookbook. And I am, believe me, happy to pass that information on. The grilled new potato salad oh, that you oh, did with oh. it, Chris, we were just yeah. talking
2: about. It's an easy recipe. I love the vinaigrette. The potatoes are blistering. When I tossed the dressing on it, they're still warm, so it's soaked right up. Absolutely heaven. So you, you basically cook these potatoes and get them nice and charred. I cheated a little bit and finished them in the oven because I'm impatient, but that's not a bad thing, right? It's
4: not a bad thing, but I have to tell you, it doesn't, potatoes, new potatoes especially, cook so fast on the grill. So this is
2: a measure, this is like a measuring stick of patience. It's not the potatoes, it's me. But anyway, you (laughs) take, you take vinegar and maple syrup. It just made it sing. A little bit of maple syrup, salt, a little smoked paprika, olive oil, tarragon, parsley, lemon zest, and some thinly sliced uh, spring onions. And it makes this amazing vinaigrette.
1: So this piment d'Espelette is a paprika. Can you explain that to me? Because I use the Spanish paprika. Olé. The p- yeah, piment, piment Okay, so tell me about this one.
4: Piment d'Espelette is from the Basque country and there's a little town called Espelette where the houses are all painted bright white on the outside the peppers they only grow around this town this is a pedigree pepper and when they're harvested they're strung and hung from the eaves over the the house so you see these white houses with these bright red strings of Very peppers cool. and it's gorgeous they're not smoked so like the spanish yeah. peppers they're dried and then they're ground and then you have this incredible Like paprika, there's a little bit of heat at the back of your throat, a little bit. Mm. I wouldn't call it super spicy, but the flavor of this pepper is incredible. I just love it. You go to the Basque Country, and on the table, you'll have a little bowl of this pepper mix, a little bit of fleur de sel. I use it all the time. So,
1: Chris, easy to do if you have just a tiny bit of patience as the
2: potatoes cook. And the flavor, right?
1: The vinegar flavor is coming from both the the sherry vinegar. And a
2: little bit of lemon.
1: Lemon and then just that touch of maple syrup to balance it all out. Mm -hmm. Now, maple syrup, we were just saying, in France is become so expensive. So not that it's free here, but we're lucky to to have access to it here.
4: It is expensive here, although we have a food co-op. You know, there are food co-ops all over France, and you can get it there. It doesn't cost a bomb. And you don't use very much. Use a tablespoon. Uh-huh. And this
2: recipe, it was a drop. It's just to balance out the sherry vinegar. It's not like... It is. T- it didn't give it like this great sweetness.
1: There's a recipe here, and I can't wait to ask you about this because I love gazpacho. Sometimes oh. I think to myself, what would happen if I grilled the tomatoes? And what do I find but your gazpacho, smoky, and French style? Mm. Alex is Spanish, and he is... An extraordinary gazpacho maker. So, Alex, this is really for you. So, olive oil, medium tomatoes, onion, cucumber, garlic, lemon juice, and, again, this piment d'Espelette and a fresh basil.
4: You want to do this over the coals because you want that smoke. So I put some grapevine cuttings on the grill right before I put the tomatoes on. I grill the tomatoes and I grill a bell pepper till they're charred and put them in a bowl to catch all the juices, and then really whip it up with the pepper and add the spicing and the vinegar, and that is it. Garlic, and you
0: chill it, obviously, right?
4: Then I chill it, Yeah, The first time I made it, I, I have a wine tasting group here that we meet once a month, and I served it. It was too cold. Now, that's a French thing, though. They're like, ah, oh, this would be better if it wasn't so cold, you know? <laughs> oh, no, yeah, so they, you don't, want to they don't like the
2: refrigerator.
4: You want to take it out so it's not, like, freezing cold. Mm. To
1: to have just a chill on it, you can taste the flavors more, correct?
4: That's it. And it's simple like all the recipes, like French food is. Simple. I am
1: so proud of our farm products in America. So please don't misunderstand me. I support and go to farmer's markets every second that I can. However, when I go to France and to Italy... There is something about the vegetables I have there where I have never tasted anything like them. I'll say I've never tasted an artichoke before. Mm -hmm. I've never tasted this before or that before. I've tried to bring the seeds back and grow them here. It's not the same. It's not the same climate, soil, water. It's everything. So can we achieve what you achieve in France, say, at your cooking school? Can we achieve that here?
4: I think you can. Just to go back, that word terroir that you hear so much, it's the landscape, it's the heart of the people who are growing the vegetable. Everything goes into the flavor of a vegetable or a wine or anything that's grown. So every vegetable tastes different depending on where it's raised. All the recipes in French Grill were tested in the U.S. at least once by mm. people who, you know, mostly had markets, but not always, because I want to make sure they're good for everybody. Mm. If somebody came back to me and said, no flavor, boring, whatever, I didn't put it in the book. So, yes, you can achieve the flavors in the U.S. with the recipes in this book.
1: This is Susan Herman Loomis, and we are talking about her book, and I'm I'm really quite excited about this. It's called French Grill. She's had the, I think, brilliant idea of taking 125 French recipes And these are what people in France, how they grill. And these are also Susan's recipes. And she has a cooking school in Normandy in a 12th century convent. I mean, it's just the most incredible thing. And a wine club. She was taunting us with the information about the wine club. Uh, You're all invited. (laughs) Thank you. Here's an idea of creating a camembert. You know this cheese Mm. that so many of us Um. love. This is a camembert burger. And Susan says it is the best cheeseburger you've ever had. <laughs> so once again, she says this is yeah. a throwdown. So this is medium-fat ground beef, salt and pepper, a little ground allspice. There's a little secret ingredient, uh, fresh parsley, and the camembert. So we saw camembert used during the old silver palate days with Sheila Lukins, where she would put it into yeah. a pasta – Uh, And it was the kind of thing where it was so rich that you felt I should go to the hospital and lie down. On the other hand, it was so crazily delicious. And I have a feeling this burger, I haven't tried this, but I want to. Go ahead, Susan.
4: I played with this, I will admit. But, you know, I live in Normandy where apples are one of the main things that's grown here. We have gorgeous beef from the Norman cow. We have camembert from the milk of the Norman cow. And I, I was having fun with this idea, and I know how much Americans love burgers. I know how much French love burgers. So I thought this is this is really a genuflection to my region, where I took the main ingredients and put them in a burger. And I have to say, I don't even know if I believe in cooking camembert or melting it or anything because it's so good mm. just by itself. But I believe it for this recipe because it's perfect.
1: Mm. Well, here we all have been waiting for this, this
2: drumroll, please. This, this oh. recipe
1: that has just got me wild. It is a flourless chocolate cake on the grill, yep. in in some version of heaven. When I'm asleep and thinking it must contain food just the way I want it to be, this is definitely on the menu. So.
4: It's funny how this came about. I was had made dinner at a group of friends over. We're sitting out in the back courtyard and it's all beautiful and the lights are on and I'm looking at the grill, you know, everything's cooked and there's all this heat. And I'm like, "Wait a minute. That's baking temperature." So I literally ran in the house and made a flourless chocolate cake, which is takes 2 seconds. And put it in a pan, put it on the grill, forgot about it for 20 minutes and opened the grill and it was a cake. I mean, mm-hmm. why not?
1: How is it different from an oven? Does the chocolate take on any smoke? Is it different from if we baked it in the oven?
4: To be honest with you, it's really not, unless you have a lot of smoke in your grill, which I don't recommend. So what you have is residual heat in any grill, charcoal grill. So... I just wanted to use it and see if it would work. And guess what? It works mm-hmm. for cakes and cookies and buns and all kinds of stuff. So what we've
1: got is if you're using really great chocolate, you've got something that is just like with sous vide, that sort of poaching liquid that makes things velvety.
4: This cake is so incredibly delicious that I think, <laughs> remember, the temperature is, it's actually 400 Fahrenheit. So it's oven temperature. And it stays that way for a good half hour after you take your grilled food off of it. So it's efficient. So your dessert's baking right next to you while you're having dinner. Cool.
3: Your neighbors
0: are going crazy <laughs> as they smell your chocolate, <laughs> <The> chocolate cake. <laughs>
1: Think of this. People are over <laughs> for dinner and you say, excuse me, I have to go over and put <laughs> our chocolate cake on the grill. <laughs> you know, I would just like, kiss that person on the lips who said, this, said those words. Um, well, I'll
4: tell you, the recipe is so French and it's
1: served so often. Susan's instructions are place that chocolate and butter and salt in a small pan over low heat. You let them melt, stir it a little bit. And when it's melted, you take it off the heat. And then with an electric mixer or a whisk, you do the eggs and sugar until they're all kind of foamy. And then these things go together together. and then into a pan and onto the a grill, it goes. Simple so as that. That's, that's simple. It. Really, yeah. anybody can do that. Yeah, yeah. and I'm it's a terrified really baker. Fun. I I can do oh, this. Oh,
4: but you know, I grew up with a mother who had fear of flour
1: because she was gluten sensitive, or because no, because
4: she didn't like to bake, and she didn't. She would. We didn't have those kinds of desserts, and she oh, said, "I just have fear of flour." I don't I'm
2: so it. using that. <laughs> I have fear of flour.
4: <laughs> yeah, so flour is chocolate cake is made for them, and this is also a good recipe for kids because. It's for sure going to succeed, so everybody's proud. Well, what
1: kind of chocolate do you personally use?
4: Either Valrhona or Lindt. They're miles apart in some ways, but Lint is actually an excellent baking chocolate. Yep. 52 to 60% is what you want. That's semi-sweet. You don't want to use a really anything darker than a 60% because you, there's not enough sugar in it to add moisture to the cake. Yep. You see what uh, I'm saying? We do. Yeah,
2: cake. we've tried it with a, with a high 50%. percentage, and it comes out very dry.
4: Is dry oh. and everybody oh. cries, yep. and nobody gets it, and it's all about sugar and cacao, and yep. you know, it's the balance. So that's mm-hmm. why I give the percentage semi yeah. sweet. This
1: is where baking is a science. This is, you
4: chemistry. know, that's why
2: I'm afraid of flour. <laughs> I'm
4: gonna no, no, use no. that. Like, I know, I look at percentage and I go, Oh my god, I'm so bad at math, but <laughs> it's just semi sweet. <laughs>
0: Drop the wand, some, carry it have someone
1: do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Just go back
4: to semi-sweet, bittersweet, milk, yes. you
1: know. Those were the days.
0: So, Faith, I'm thinking yeah. that the smokiness in the cake might actually be a nice thing, right? A little bit? I, I was.
4: But, you know, you want to be careful with smoke, in my opinion, because I think sometimes we prefer smoke over flavor. And I say that in these recipes. It's like this is not about big, smoky, big, fat, barbecuey things. It's about incredibly delicious food cooked on the grill, and the grill enhances it. But you don't want the smoke to take over.
0: Mm-hmm. You have
4: to play with that. Yeah, I think it would be good in this cake, but you don't want too much because then you don't taste the chocolate.
1: And we can have wine that's too cold, as opposed to too smoky, and therefore we can't taste it. Uh, and
4: that happens all the time, especially with white wine.
1: Yeah, except when it comes to rosé. I love my rosé, really yeah. very and cold. And, oh, my oh, cold, and my champagne, ice cold.
4: And my beer. Yeah, champagne. I will agree yeah. with you a thousand percent. You do?
1: I right. thought for sure, ice as a French person, no, 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 say,
4: no, because warmer champagne is really not that much fun. Nope. I experiment with that a lot, and I'm here to show you I really
1: need to do that. <laughs> Thank Your assignment you for, the for this weekend Inspiration. I really <laughs> appreciate a, it. A glass of
2: champagne here. I should try it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, hmm. warm. Uh, let's put it back in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> let's try it cold. Oh my God.
1: Um, you're the best. That's the first thing you. Susan, thank you. thank you very much for doing this book. It's such a smart idea. Oh,
4: thank you for telling your part of the work about it. I, I really hope that people will get it and, and use it and really, really have fun in the grill, because I must say I certainly did. How about
1: we lead a food and wine tour and we come over and see you in that cooking school?
4: I think that is a great idea. Exactly. Chris, you have your calendar out. Okay. <laughs> get your Thank calendar you. out, get a group together, and I'll
1: be here. <laughs> okay, Susan. Watch out. <laughs> Thank you. Susan Herman Loomis, and the book is called French Grill. And you will see recipes from the book, including the chocolate cake... And that salmon with the potatoes on the grill, that potato salad that was made, that vinegary, most astonishingly delicious thing, uh, that's on our website too, foodschmooze.org. Hey, guess what? We found a place where you can recycle your wine bottle corks. And there's a reason they want you to do it. You'll see. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. And for an on demand podcast of the Food Schmooze Party every week, go to foodschmooze.org. That's where all the recipes are. And of course, we'll be right back.
4: <laughs> Mais à Paname, tout peut s'arranger Quelques rayons du ciel d'été L'accordéon d'un marinier L'espoir fleurit au ciel de Paris
1: is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the East End of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. plus we love her. To hear the show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. We have podcasts, our curated recommendations, always online, waiting to make you happy at foodschmooze.org. We have an assignment for you on Facebook because I want to know. Tamales, I'm just getting into them. I'm just discovering the real deal. I want to know from you on Facebook if you are a Tamale fan. And you know where they're making really good ones, please just go on there and tell us. It's Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on Facebook. This is our segment on tamales. It was Alex's idea. He spends half his time now in uh, Phoenix, Arizona.
0: In a cookbook that we love, we found Tucson tamales as listing one of their recipes. Apparently, people in Arizona at Christmas time, give tamales as presents.
1: They do? So, yeah. I want to be on your Christmas So list. it's like yes. you bring
0: Christmas <laughs> cookies, you bring you bring Christmas tamales. So Tucson Tamale is this company in Tucson that still makes them by hand. It's Sherry's like mother's recipe.
1: Here's the story. This guy, Todd Martin, he falls in love with tamales and he falls in love with this woman, <laughs> you know, and he marries her. And uh, he's making tamales with her family. And he said, we got to make tamales. we got to do this as a business because these tamales are really good. And by the way, if you go to TucsonTamale.com, you will find – you can put in your zip code and it will tell you where they're sold here. We know, in fact, in New Haven where our studio is in particular, they're sold at Edge of the Woods Co-op. Let's explain what tamales are.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: So they're wrapped in corn
2: husk. Yep, simple.
1: Sometimes a banana leaf. And Depending many, on where they're from. many Latin cultures mm-hmm. make tamales. Mm-hmm.
0: And you pointed out they're over 7,000 years BC, they've been making some form of tamale.
1: Yep. So they have this company, Tucson Tamale, has jalapeno and cheese, blue corn and veggie, green chili and cheese. Black bean and cheese for the plant-based people. Green chili chicken tamales. And those (laughs) were my favorite. favorite. Alex liked the pork. But anyway, what's the deal on how you make these?
0: It's basically three parts. It takes
1: them one to two days, by the way, to make the real thing. Go ahead.
0: You have a husk. And basically you have a dough that's made from corn flour. Yep. Masa. It's almost like making a biscuit. They'll take pork fat or lard and they'll whip it together like you're making chocolate chip cookies like with Crisco or or something, right? And so then they take the flour and they put it into the whipped up fat. What flour? Masa corn flour, thats it's white, mm-hmm. goes into this whipped up lard. It's naturally gluten-free. And so then with their hands, with a little broth, they'll mix this batter for 15 minutes and they do it in a huge bowl. And it turns into like almost like a jello texture, like this really sort of peanut buttery. did you
1: watch this in a video or were you did you go someplace yeah so
0: i really got into tamales it's it's Mm -hmm. like a whole world of tamales oh yeah so they'll take this dough and they'll spread it on the corn husk and then they'll take a flavoring in this case like pork a filling and the pork is like a braised Mm three-hour pork and water with garlic and bay leaves it gets shredded and then they'll take remember faith those chilies that come in the cellophane bags so those are all over the Southwest, oh, and they'll, yeah. they'll take that, and they'll put it in hot water and reconstitute it, and you blend it until it's like a sauce. So that sauce goes into the pork, into the filling. You smear this dough onto the leaf. You pour it like a little mohawk of your filling, yeah. and, and then, then you, you fold, fold one the, side over, yeah. fold the other side yeah. over, and tuck under the tail, and then it gets steamed for 60 minutes. Yeah. And it smells like corn and, oh, and it's yeah. like the filling. And you open it up and you have this little pocket. It's little, like a, hot pocket. a little Mexican <laughs> it pocket. It's like
1: a hot pocket. So I, of course this got uh-huh. me my mind was racing with things to do. I was all of a sudden thinking, oh, I have to put palacios oh, uh, chorizo, chorizo oh. in here. I have to with this cornmeal. meal. Kate, you're on to something. Have, I, I was where was I? riverhead on the east end of of Long Island. And there is this little Mexican place down a slight alleyway that people pointed me to. I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember the name. And it was filled with Mexican people. It was so delicious. And I ordered a tamale. And I unwrapped it. And they were all standing staring to see if I liked it. You know, because I loved it.
2: Have you
0: made them? yeah, so I forgot. This is how yep. it all sort of started. I saw them in the deli case. You know, in Arizona, they're everywhere. So then I started researching how to make it, and this is where I came across the recipe. But I have learned making the pork is easy. The dough is more effort. But I'm just buying from Tucson Tamale because it's something that's, like, easier mm. just to, they're delicious. To, to buy from a, someone who knows wow. how to do it. Wow, seriously. Have a tamale party and make them if you
2: wanted to do so it.
1: Now, <laughs> yeah, I mean, go. Yeah, Watch so now I'm in.
2: So, yeah, I made them once they have such history. They've been around forever. It's how we used to eat. So I got really intrigued and started researching in the different masas and how to do it. And then I set out and I got all the ingredients and Faith said it at the beginning. They take two to three days to make. My kitchen looked like a bomb went off.
1: No, you start and then you're on
2: Social Security before you finish. So So. now you just find the best one
1: that you can get. I really at home (laughs) want to find a way. How could we do this? Honestly, I don't need to make my pasta from scratch. You don't I, need to I, make no. your tamales oh, either.
2: Tamales no. are one of those I, things you don't do need it. to make. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to do you it. you want to take just a not weekend.
1: It's <laughs> Yeah.
0: <I
2: can't. laughs>
0: and then <laughs> eat tamales for yeah. the next week. <laughs> <like>. But
1: how <laughs> but, could I do this a fast week? You, you're going to laugh at me. Could I make polenta and then add all the things I'd like to add to
0: it? Chorizo? It's kind of a good idea. The phase. green chilies. It's. I mean, the texture might it's be that, different, yeah, but. Just and what
1: am different. I wrapping it with? Banana leaf, what? or can I buy? I would use corn husks. Can I use parchment paper? No, yes. the corn's going to flavor Well, you it, right? could.
0: you absolutely. You could use oh, parchment paper. Corn husks
1: from when I have my fresh corn.
0: There you go. Just so wrap thinking, it right,
1: ne- and then I'm steaming it.
0: Steam it upright for sixty minutes, and it's as
2: simple as that. You guys what what do have we go- what more gonna- energy than I have. No, what are we gonna? I still have PTSD from the time I made them. First of all, it took me at least twenty of them to get the folding right. It you actually two gets little two. Wings. Yeah, yeah, it gets two little wings, and they're mm-hmm. folded over. And yeah. then you can even take little pieces of corn husk and, and make strips and tie it in little oh. bows. And I'm, yeah.
0: just buy
1: them. We grew up various reasons. We grew up. I grew up in an Italian family for quite a lot of, of the time of my growing up, and. Grandma Pinto mm-hmm. had brought the breadboard from Italy. On Grandma Pinto's board, we make ravioli from scratch with brajol yeah. and sausage oh, yeah. and pepperoni all in the sauce, and we do the whole thing. It takes, we cannot believe yeah. the fights and the arguments over the dough, is <laughs> too thin. No, I like it thick. I mean, honestly. That's not how I do it. ah, Oh my god. So, but it takes all day on Thanksgiving to go through all this.
0: If you watch people make these traditional things, even enchiladas, I thought, oh, it's so easy. They fry it first and then you put it in the salsa and then you just roll it. And if you watch someone who's grown up doing this, they're so good at it. So I'm trying to roll my enchiladas. They're, They're in the fat and then they're sliding off the plate and then the tongs break them and then they fall in the uh-huh. all of a sudden turn into mush, my hands are covered, I'm rubbing my eyes and they make something look so easy and it's not. So. I, know. Yeah. It's like, I know. It's exactly. like the I Love Lucy
2: episode. No, it is. Yeah, these yeah, really are exactly. enchiladas, so sure. Yeah. It's easy. No, no. Some things are easy. That's not easy. No.
1: Well, we have had a ball with these, eating these, of Somali so good, Company. Right? Thank you very much for sending them. You guys Christmas. know
0: what you're getting for Christmas. Yes, totally. I, to on, I totally want to be on your Christmas yeah.
1: list. Okay, we're going to do a little traveling music. So I went down to the corner and found my boy Made him chip in on a
0: bottle
1: of joy To get my head happy with wine, don't you know Head happy with wine, don't you know Head happy with wine, don't you know
2: I was
1: You heard us talking about this roan red that's in a box. And, of course, there's no cork in that box. So we said, let's switch things around and talk about the art of corks for wine. And what do we do with all those corks? Because cork is a precious material. And we found Peter Weber. He is a Yale grad, so he certainly knows New Haven. He's executive director in California of the nonprofit Cork Quality Council, and he has worked out a deal with some places in Connecticut where you can actually recycle your real corks. So we're going to get to that. Peter, welcome to the Fooch Moose Party.
3: Glad to be here, Faith. What
1: got you into this cork thing?
3: I've been in the wine business for many years. A friend of mine, who was in the cork business, told me that they had this trade association, and I started this uh, 15 years ago. This is by far my favorite project.
1: Peter, are all corks the same? If it's a cork, I don't mean the plastic corks. That's a whole other story. But if it's seemingly a cork material, are they all the same? Is that a precious material?
3: There are many different kinds of corks. They behave differently. And yes, I think it is a precious material.
1: You have this thing, the Cork Quality Council. I'm assuming that that started because they were running into some problems, right? Uh, certain corks were seeping. There was a little bit of sort of mold, mildew, getting into the wines because of them. Is that right?
3: Well, that is right. And quality control is very important. And one of the first things that we wanted to attack was this mildewy off aroma called Cork feet. And they asked me to try to find a way to do that. And I think we've accomplished that goal several years ago. We're proud of it.
1: What, what did you do? How did you do that?
3: Well, the cork is actually a uh, residual chemical from microorganisms. It's common in pretty much any kind of wood product. I smell it myself when I go to the store, apples, raisins, carrots. The problem is people don't take their carrot up and hold it under their nose and regard it before they consume it. So the TCA, the wine, was much more noticeable only because... Obviously, we do smell our wine before we drink it.
0: I have a good friend, Don, who used to say that he could smell this taint in apples. And then all of us you know, are like, really? Who? You've just proven him to be correct. There is cork taint or the same chemical on, on things like apples. So
1: that does raise the question why we should use corks at all if they're so porous. Uh, why don't we go straight screw top? What do you think, Peter?
3: When I said that the commodity is precious, I didn't mean it was rare. The cork forest in the Mediterranean is over five and a half million acres. There's plenty of cork to go around. Besides, uh, obviously, when you harvest cork, you're just taking the bark off the tree. You're not cutting the tree down. Those trees in that forest are are vitally important to the Mediterranean region. So actually, people at the World Wildlife Federation and whatnot are very much in support of using cork because they want to preserve those cork trees as a valuable Uh resource From a closure quality standpoint, a good cork is very much better than uh, an alternative. And and frankly, the leaking of corks is almost always associated with the bottling conditions, not so much the material.
0: Like the bottle Um, got too hot and the
2: contents pushed out, right?
3: That can happen or it can freeze. Same thing. Chris, yeah. yeah.
2: So why recycle and what do they do with the corks? Do they reuse them?
3: Sure. Uh, They really repurpose them. We work with several partners in Connecticut. There's one company called Cork Reharvest. They generally have collection locations at every whole food store. There's another company called ReCork. They originally were, well, they still are a very large uh, shoe company. and They wanted to make their cork insoles out of recycled cork. Yeah, I just got funny. off the phone earlier this morning with the executive director of the Dairy and Nature Center. They raise money by recycling corks there as well. So there's some places locally.
1: So I understand that people are reusing cork for other materials. This is all part of a recycling philosophy.
3: I think it comes down to the fact that most consumers prefer cork. A good cork, I think, makes the wine taste better. Yeah, isn't
1: that psychologically proven? Isn't that a fact that the sound of a cork coming out of wine like, puts us in a certain mood and gets us ready for that wine?
3: Absolutely. I, I believe you're referring to a study performed last year, I think, in Oxford. We have seen the same results when it's done with pictures, now when it's done with sound. When people think they're drinking away from a cork-finished bottle, they think it's better.
1: Right. This is one of those things where people could really get into some interesting debates. Thank you so much, Peter. And um, thanks for passing on the info about the recycling program. Really appreciate that. Sure. Peter Weber, who is a Yale grad, he knows New Haven, he's executive director of the nonprofit Cork Quality Council. We are on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at three and nine and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays listen for my sixty second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.